Welcome to Book Talk with Kara Putman. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Kara Putman, the award-winning, best-selling author of more than 30 novels. I write romantic legal suspense and World War II romance, but I read voraciously. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of my favorite author friends as we talk books, writing, and life. Be sure to check back frequently for new episodes. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Book Talk. After taking a few weeks off over the holidays, we are back, and I am delighted to introduce you to my friend, Abigail Wilson. We both write for Thomas Nelson, um, although I write romantic legal suspense, and she writes Regency that's kind of gothic. It's kind of a mystery. It's kind of a romance. So, Abigail, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Um, Kara pretty much uh, <clears throat> detailed out what I write, which is a Regency era uh, historical mysteries with definitely a romantic, uh, a romantic thread throughout. Um, I live in Texas uh, near Austin. Um, I have two kids and a rescue puppy that we just love to death. Uh, Hobby-wise, I love the national parks. We're trying to hit all those that we possibly can in our lifetime. Uh, and uh, just running around with my two crazy kids. Uh, my daughter dives now, and it's just been really fun following her. And my son's in band, so just having fun time with them. That's awesome. So how did your daughter get into diving? Is that not one of those sports that most people think of when they're like, oh, this is what my child's going to do? Yeah, it's really different. Uh, she was in gymnastics for about 10 years and she ended up breaking her arm and had to have surgery. And just after the rehab with that, she was not ready to go crazy with that anymore. And so we just looked into some other options because she wanted something to do. And we had, uh, we're close to the University of Texas, which has a really fantastic diving program. And most divers were actually gymnasts. So uh, she tried it out and just absolutely loves it. She goes off the crazy platforms and everything. So, oh, that's awesome. So, I have to pause on that for a second because Nina asked, What is your favorite national park so far? Oh, that's a great question. Mine would definitely be Glacier National Park. Uh, I mean, there's so many that I absolutely love, but that it was just phenomenal. I, I just cannot uh, explain how beautiful that park is. Diving <laughs> program. That's awesome. So, how did you? Um, what makes that one your favorite? Because Glacier National Park, that's the one up in Montana, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it just has so many different variability. Like you can go up and hike um, in the snow on the glacier, and then you can drive down at the same day and be swimming in a lake. It, so it's just so many options you know, opportunities to do so many different things. And the hiking is just, is just gorgeous scenery out of, just out of this world. That's so fun. And um, back to the diving thing, uh, our third, uh, Becca, was a gymnast and now she's a swimmer and she's getting ready to start high school. Oh. In the fall. And I was like, oh, maybe you should look at diving. And I think yeah. she's like, they're a little crazy. So going off the platform and all that, I'm just in awe of, and we are at Purdue. And so we've got a couple of Olympic medalists, David Bodaya and Steele. Oh, right. 
Johnson, I think it is. Um, and so it's always fun because every once in a while when we would have a swim meet there, you could see them training and everyone would be like, forget about the swimming. We are watching the divers. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Your daughter should consider it. It's my daughter was very uh, concerned about it. And after she did it, she just fell in love with it. So <laughs> it's awesome. So we're here to talk about your books and you had one that just released a week ago, Twilight at Moorington Cross. And I have to tell you, I read it and I loved it. So Aww. can you tell people just a little bit about it? Kind of like a short back cover synopsis. Uh, sure. Yes. So this book is, um, it's, it's, it segues off of Masquerade at Middlecrest Abbey because there's a recurring character, Ewan Hawkins. Um, but the book is obviously in first person. So it's following Amelia, who uh, is a patient at a hospital where the doctor press, uh, practices mesmerism, um, which is a precursor <laughs> to uh, hypnotism back in the Regency era. And it was pretty crazy uh, practice back then. But Anyway, so she's there at the hospital and uh, there's a <clears throat> strange occurrence that the doctor there puts her in his will and uh, there's a murder. And so the whole thing is just figuring out what's going to happen then and who did it, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and there were twists literally until basically the last chapter where I was even going, oh, wait a second, what what just happened? Oh, okay, that fits. And so that takes a lot of talent to be able to pull mm -hmm all of those different threads together and then to keep someone like me guessing because usually in a book like that probably by two-thirds of the way I would have it solidly figured out and I had a good idea but it wasn't quite there because you kept twisting it so when you're writing a book like this do you plot it all out ahead of time or do you kind of see where the story is going to take you I definitely am a huge plotter. Uh, I have spreadsheets where I have what's happening on the page, what's happening off the page, what the reader should expect. And I, I do a lot of heavy plotting at the beginning because there's just so many threads that have to fit back up at the end that I would have a really hard time if I didn't do that. But it's, it still changes as I write, but uh, for the most part, yes. <laughs> But I think I know when I've written cozy mysteries and things like that, when it you've got all these clues and all these different events that are happening, it really does pay off to take the time at the beginning to try and figure it out, even if exactly how you get there shifts. Um, I, I always say it's kind of like you're doing the heavy lifting early so that then there aren't as many edits later. Is that what you find? Yes, definitely. Um, I've always been a plotter, but I think it's getting even more plotting at the beginning just it definitely makes it flow so much better and it helps me keep track of word count and how the chapters are going to fit together too so yep definitely better. <laughs> well and there are there are just so many threads so Nina wants to know what's your favorite part of the writing process Ooh, um I would definitely say editing I, I've always enjoyed going back and taking words that are already there and making them better uh and, and honestly, just the excitement and the joy of plotting at the beginning, just starting a new story and just delving into the research and figuring out where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do, both of those things together, for sure. So I asked readers, okay, what are, have they read any of your books and what are some of their favorites? And um, Perry Ann says she's read all of yours, but she wanted to ask if Mornington Cross was different since it was written during the pandemic. 
Oh, yes, it absolutely was different. This was definitely my most difficult ride by far. Uh, I, of course, had my kids home doing school at online. And from when I had written in a completely quiet house to suddenly chaos and the world was in chaos and just distraction. Yeah, I wrote a vast majority of the books sitting in my car at a park. <laughs> So that was uh, very challenging. It was, I, when I got to the end, I thought, how is this even going to be a book? But it did end up as a book, so I was happy. <laughs> yeah, I always uh, think about the number of chapters I've written at gymnastics meets and swim meets or mm -hmm. waiting in the car or this afternoon or evening, my daughter was at swimming and I was the one who took her and I'm sitting at Panera editing chapters because yep. you got to snag the time whenever you can. And so, um, when you think about writing, and this book actually has some medical issues going through it, how did you kind of do the research for those and figure out which one you were going to pull into this story? Well, <clears throat> I've always had a, a fascination with sleep disorders because I have a lot of weird ones, nothing as Pro pronounced as Amelia in the book, but I talk in my sleep, I walk in my sleep, I have night terrors, I jump up and do crazy stuff all the time. So I've always been really curious about it. And my second book, Midnight, she had night terrors because they were really something that I experienced. But I was researching more about sleep and I ran across narcolepsy and I had not ever read or known anybody that had the added component of cataplexy with narcolepsy or narcolepsy. I didn't realize at the time that they can actually lose ability to move their body and still be awake. So I started reading a lot about that and reading journals and uh, just firsthand accounts of people that deal with it and what it feels like and all those things. So I, pretty early on, I decided that um, I wanted that to be Amelia's issue in the hospital. So um, yeah, it's hard with the Regency because they certainly wouldn't have known what it was or had a name for it. So I was trying to have enough in there so you could follow it. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it was really interesting to read because I was sitting there going, okay, how much of this would they have known in the Regency time period? And I thought you really hit that balance of surely there were people who experienced that. And it made me think of a kind of like almost being awake during a seizure, but like a frozen mm -hmm. seizure where your body yes. just stops. Um, and just how terrifying that would be, especially mm -hmm. when you don't have things like an MRI to help you figure out, no, you're actually, your brain's still okay. There's just mm -hmm. some kind of short circuit or something happening. And so yeah. I, I thought you really captured what I would imagine someone during the Regency time would have thought and how much they would be concerned that, you know, they, no one would ever care for them, that they would just kind of be left on their own. So did you have to do a lot of research on wills and inheritance as you were writing this one? <laughs> I did online as best I could. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely did. I hope I hit all the points, but um, it, it adding in the legal aspect and just having the mesmerism and the narcolepsy, this book did require significant more research than I had done with some of the other ones for sure. <laughs> but it's fascinating that you say mesmerism is kind of the precursor to hypnotism because I kept going I've never heard of this and the things like the trees and okay, you've got to give those who are listening an idea of what that is because it's just so interesting and it feels really strange but I could see how at that time period it is kind of inching closer to what we would call hypnotism today. 
Right. Yeah. So it was basically established by uh, a man by the name of Franz Mesmer. And he kind of stumbled onto it. They believed at that time our bodies had fluids and there was a way to charge and magnetize them. And uh, he was trying some different things out with magnets and water. And he accidentally essentially started hypnotizing his patients is what they believe is he was actually hypnotizing them. Um, and the mesmerism had nothing to do with it, but it was a great show. And uh, it, they had vats of water with iron in it that you would take these rods and put it on the parts of the body that were affected. And, um, and then there was, and it evolved over time. So he started out with that. And then he started feeling like he was actually magnetized. And so he started magnetizing trees and objects and so people that couldn't pay to come into his sessions they could just go to the tree and so I had that and there were other people that took the mantle from him and started transitioning more into the trances so this was he was really late 1700 so this would have been in the in the in-between stage where they might be taking certain things from this certain things from that but uh one thing I found really interesting was uh <clears throat> that when they were evaluating mesmerism in uh, France, because it got so big there, they had parlors and people were doing it. Uh, they got a council together of physicians and various people, but Ben Franklin was on the actual committee. And of course, at the end of the evaluation, they decided mesmerism was complete bunk and it was nothing. But, and oh, and Mesmer was so angry. He took off and went to Germany or something, but uh, <laughs> that's what they decided. And he was there. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's quite the connection. I wouldn't have anticipated, but the time period's right that Ben Franklin would have been there. And you can totally see him as the American scientist sitting uh -huh. on that panel and, you know, being part of those who are evaluating and going, yes, this is science or no, it isn't. But, you know, that that flavor of almost entertainment definitely came through and how you were setting it up, you know, wearing a cape and, you know, the oh, color yeah. and all of that, that I was like, wow, this almost feels like a circus sideshow. Mm -hmm. It really was. He wanted to make them believe that, you know, something was going to happen. It, it was all part of the, really the illusion that ended up being, he believed it himself, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And that's what's really fun about writing historical fiction is finding mm -hmm. those little nuggets that <laughs> you never knew existed. But how did you stumble on it? Because you have to find that first thread to start pulling and going, oh, this is something that could become kind of a backdrop to a book. Yeah, I was really just trying to think of completely crazy stuff and, and thinking like along gothic lines, okay, I've done this or that. And I started thinking, what about hypnotism? Like what was going on with hypnotism in the early 1800s? And so when I started to research, I realized that hypnotism did not actually come into place until later and in the Victorian era. And so I was like, well, what were they doing? So then of course I stumbled into the whole practice of mesmerism and it lined up really perfectly for this uh, practice because it needed to be around in the late 1700s. So years later, he could still be doing it and different things. So it just fell into place and I found it fascinating. I got a couple books and read a lot. It was, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think that comes out in the writing because I, I really believe that when the writer is interested and in those threads that they're, that they're layering in, then that's when we as readers go, oh my goodness, is this real? What's going on? You know, who else might be, you know, doing this? And so that interest definitely 
at least I picked up on as I was reading Twilight at Mornington Cross. So you obviously do a lot of research. How do you come up with the characters for your books? Like um, Uwen and Amelia, how do, do they come to you out of your research or do you start with them and then do your research? Hmm. Uh, I think they come out of the research. I definitely have an idea of what the story is first before the characters come to life. Um, but I've always done pretty, I get a lot of character research as in I'm asking myself, like, what does this person have their weaknesses and all those kinds of things. And then I start writing diary entries from them, like why they're in the book and what they hope to accomplish. And I think that really helps me with just who their personalities are. And then obviously, as I start to write, everyone seems to change <laughs> significantly. But uh, yeah, they kind of evolve over the plot and into the start of the story. That's awesome. I, there have been a couple of times when I feel like I'm not super connected with a character that I'll do that. I'll just start writing as if I'm, you know, completely first person in their head, trying mm-hmm. to figure out what their voice is. And it's amazing what a difference that can make in connecting and making that character unique and have kind of their own perspective and voice. Yeah, yes. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a writer, because you started as a nurse, Mm -hmm. and there's not always like this direct line between our profession to writing. So how did you decide that, you know, I really think I want to try my hand at writing novels? It's it's really kind of crazy, to be honest. I obviously was an avid reader, just poured over Regency books in particular for so many years, and um, <clears throat> after I had my kids, they were uh, napping more. And so I was reading more. And I think I was really kind of craving some kind of creative outlet. Uh, as a nurse, you know, you can work just two, three days a week. And so I was home more with them in between work. And I read this book that I was just at the end, I thought, gosh, this was so predictable. I, I And I thought, and I started thinking how I would have changed it to make it more interesting. And I'm thinking oh, I could write something and I don't even know why I just say God planted the seed in my heart because I sat down. We just had this old rickety computer. <laughs> I didn't even have a laptop and I was sitting there with an uncomfortable chair and just like wrote an entire book. Of course it was terrible and it will never see the light of day. But um, <clears throat> it, that is uh, honestly how it started. And I was not, I had written a little bit as a child, but I had never thought this is something I want to do. And then after, of course, I started it, you get the bug and just can't stop. (laughs) So what was the first book that you went, okay, I think this might be good enough to actually have other people read it? Uh, I would say it was my third book. Um, The first one I I wrote and then I went on online to these forums totally um just random people to have them critique it and they <laughs> eviscerated it so um I was like should I even really write <laughs> this is terrible but then I went back and wrote another one and then I started I got involved in American Christian fiction writers and started getting more involved in going to conferences and learning the craft and so that I really came from a much better place when I wrote my third book and it finaled in the Genesis that year. And so that's when I felt like, okay, maybe I can actually look for an agent. And that's when I actually started moving forward. Of course that book, it did not sell either, but um, actually this was my fifth or sixth book, but I think it almost takes that many by the time you get ready to publish. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a process and being a reader, I think helps a lot. But what would you say is like the writing concept that when someone like those first readers who are eviscerating it on different panels, online panels and stuff, what was the first one where, you, where you, they said, oh, you need to do this. And you were like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, like writing concepts, I, I was jumping, head hopping, point of view was terrible. I had all started with tons of description. I mean, there was a million things. I had no idea I was doing wrong. So I'll never forget. I was at a the very first chapter meeting for the Indiana American Christian Fiction Writers chapter, you know, years and years ago, I started writing like three months before and they started talking about POV. Yes. And I was like, P.O. what? What are you you talking about? That's how like little I knew about technique, but because I'd been a reader for forever, it came fairly quickly because I could go, oh, that's not working. I could kind of self-edit a lot. But Uh I'll just never forget there were some of those like writer concepts that people just kind of throw around. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So how did you keep going through those five or six books until you, you're like, okay, now I'm getting a contract. Cause that's a lot of writing. That's a lot mm-hmm. of hours where you're just chasing a dream. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to give this up, but there, I, I just think God just kept pressing me on saying, keep trying, keep doing. And, um, I had sent a writing sample off to Mary Sue Seymour and she had written back and she was like I love your writing and she said something super nice and I honestly think if she had not written that I mean she didn't want to represent me at the time or anything but if she had not taken the time to write that on that paper I don't even know if I would have continued so I really do owe her a lot um but yeah uh I think a lot of the contests and just the community that you get into and the friends and uh, it just keeps keeps you moving forward and keep trying and it's it's almost like camaraderie, you know, just to, <laughs> we're gonna try again. Absolutely. And I think that you hit on such an important concept of sometimes we'll say something or we'll send someone a note or just mm-hmm. give them that little bit of what to us may not feel like a lot, but to mm-hmm. them can be that okay, I can keep going for a little bit longer. So when you think about where you are today and you've, I think this Twilight at Morrington Cross is your fifth published book Mm -hmm. or your sixth? My fifth, Fifth. yeah. So how do you, in a sense, pay it forward now? Because you're building quite a readership. You're writing these books with a great publisher. So do you find time to pay it forward and give that encouragement to others? I think I'm, um, yes, uh, it's, it's definitely been a lot harder than I was anticipating because I was always thinking, oh, I'm going to do so much for these people. And then it just real life gets in the way. But yeah, uh, critiques, critique groups and partners and um, that kind of thing. Um, obviously, uh, judging contests and, and that sort of thing. I'm hoping we can get back to ACFW and actually reach out to people in person. But um, it, it is, uh, I'm hopeful for more of that really in the future. Absolutely. And ACFW will be back in person this year. Yay. If we don't get another super contagious version. Um, but yeah, we just had our board meeting last weekend uh, in St. Louis. And it was so great because we're like, 
planning and story festival be there. So it's going to be awesome. But yeah, I mean, there's doing critique groups and, and critiques and things like that can be so meaningful. Even a chapter or two can really help someone mm-hmm. and kind of speak life into them about, hey, keep doing this, change this, tweak this. But um, Perianne wants to know, um, since you say your first book will never see the light of day, was In the Shadow of Croft Towers your second, your third, your fifth? What number was that? That was the fourth book, fourth or fifth, because I, yeah, my fifth book, really. That's <laughs> I awesome. stole a lot from my third book that had uh, finaled, and it kind of became Croft Towers, but it was a completely new uh, book and concept. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you have to do that. You start with something that's good, and then you're like, oh, but it can be great if I mm-hmm. tweak this and tweak this, and the next thing you know, you've rewritten the book. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So on that, what's a great book that you've read or a book that you've really, really enjoyed in the last month or couple of months? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I read uh, Shadows of Swanford Abbey by Julie Clausen, which I absolutely love. She's uh, gone a little bit more mystery and gothic, which is right up my alley. And she's always been a favorite of mine. So um, I really enjoyed that one. I actually just started uh, Anna Lee Huber's A Wicked Conceit. I'm a little behind on her Lady, Lady Darby mysteries, but I, I absolutely adore her. <laughs> so I'm, I'm ready for the next one, I think comes out in April. But uh, yeah, so I'm getting caught up on those but they're they're two excellent books so far <laughs> yeah and I loved Julie Clausen's as well it, it was just so good and it really did it had a lot more mystery than some of hers have had which I love as a reader and then yeah um the Lady Darby books are just they're so creative and different I really yeah. enjoy what they what she's done with that character so it's very very fun mm-hmm. um okay the key to writing is just to write do you agree Absolutely. Uh, yes, <laughs> obviously, just all my writing eventually paid off. But yeah, just sit down and uh, get words on the page. Uh, my critique partner always says to me, like, bad words are better than no words. So just write something down and move from there. So completely Absolutely. agree. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's um, staring at the blank screen can be really hard, even as mm-hmm. an author who's getting ready to start my 37th book that first chapter can be like pulling teeth Mm -hmm. but if you can just keep doing it and just get in that rhythm then it really does get easier you get to know the characters you get to know the feel for that book you get to know the setting I mean just all those things start coming together so that just keep writing so thank you so much for joining me today is there anything else that you would like those who are listening to know about you and your books Oh, wow. I can't think of something on the spur of the moment, but I'm super excited about the next book because I'm writing uh, for Masquerade at Middlecrest Abbey, Torrington's Three Children. I'm giving each of them a book. So the next one up is Phoebe's book and it's a treasure hunt. So I'm super excited about that one. It's uh, I'm waiting on line edits. So um, and then after that, I'm starting to write uh, Juliana's. So she'll be the last one and you'll have a return of Guy Montague will be in that book as well. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you're going back to the kids because that will be perfect. They were all such great characters. So to give them their own stories is a really good idea. Yeah, I just, I just loved them and their family and everything. So I was super excited to give them each a book. (laughs) That's 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me tonight. And next week, Jocelyn Green will be here and we'll be talking about her stories, which are more of Gilded Age historical. And the last few have been set in Chicago. So thanks for joining us for Book Talk. And I look forward to hopefully seeing y'all back next week. If you enjoyed this conversation, remember you can join us live on my Facebook page on Tuesday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next conversation. I'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review on your favorite platform. I love to hear from you, so be sure to leave a comment on this episode's show page at caraputman.com, and you can also interact with me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget, when you join my e-newsletter, I send you a copy of Dying for Love, the novella that launches the Hidden Justice series, as my gift to you. Thanks again for tuning in. <laughs>